You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and principles of leadership. Hello and welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. It's wonderful, as always, to have your company. My name's David Frizzell, and my guest in this episode is Ingrid Messner. Ingrid is passionate about nature and its power to help individuals perform well and be well in their life. She has recently published a book called Naturally Successful, How Wise Leaders Manage Their Energy, Influence Others, and Create Positive Change. And also, she's got a super cool story to tell about something that happened to her just a couple of days ago. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Ingrid Messner. Ingrid Messner, welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, David. An absolute pleasure to have you, Ingrid. And I'm going to put you on the spot straight away. We were supposed to have this chat the other night and I couldn't do it because I was traveling for work. So we rescheduled and you said, that was pretty good for me anyway, because I was, you were what? How about you tell the story? It's an amazing story. (laughs) I would have hoped you ignore the story. I really love nature and my two sons gave me as a gift for my birthday in May a bushwalking and hiking trip. So we went to the Blue Mountains over the weekend and on Saturday was really great and we climbed a mountain and on the other side we put up our camp and the next morning when I walked around one of the trees and touched a very small rock, a snake sort of slithered out (laughs) under the rock and bit me. And uh, first, I didn't really realize it because I was fascinated by the snake. It's a, it was a quite ju- a small one, so it looked very juvenile, but I had no idea what it was. So I didn't realize first I was startled and then I took a photo and then only noticed that my finger was uh, swollen and pulsing. And then I realized, oh my God, it has bitten me. <laughs> And uh, it was really subtle, more like a scratch. But a few months ago, I did a remote first aid course. And during that course, we did heaps of trainings for snake bites and all sorts of other things. And they warned us that quite often with a snake bite, you actually wouldn't notice and you won't see it. And it might not come on immediately. So all of this in mind, plus my snake bandage, I thought, oh, maybe it's better because in the position where we were, the location is very remote. I thought there's no way I can climb back over the mountain safely. And um, so sort of we put the snake bandage on and then my sons, luckily we had reception called triple zero. And because it's so remote, they send us a helicopter. You're joking. You got helicoptered (laughs) out. Yes, I got helicoptered out. (laughs) Felt a little bit guilty until the point when the paramedic sort of bandaged my arm again and stopped the whole circulation. And I tell you, that's really painful. So that was worse than anything of the bite and the pulsation. Worse than the bite. Yeah. So they brought me to hospital and then you have to go through a protocol where over 12 hours they have to check that it's not getting worse. And the whole thing around the helicopter ride, the pain in the arm and the hospital 
all of that was a lot worse than the actual snake bite because it turned out that it was a dry bite where the snake didn't put any venom into me, but still it was quite a shock. It was kind to you. Yes, and it's beautiful. And I call myself lucky because it was an endangered snake, so it's very rare. So I can now claim What sort of snake was it? A Sydney broadhead snake. Really? Well, what a fascinating story you've got to tell now, Ingrid. And the most amazing part was that you were willing to do the podcast the next day. The only, it was only the, the, that I couldn't do it is why we, we delayed <laughs> it by a few days. What a trooper you are. Now, Ingrid, you've written a very neat, not so little book, actually. It's got a quite, quite a bit of weight about it. It's called Naturally Successful, How Wise Leaders Manage Their Energy, Influence Others, and Create Positive Impact. Tell me, why did you write this book now? What has led you to the point that this is your message? Over the last, I would say, nearly 20 or maybe even 30 years, so coming from Germany, I always had a close connection to the whole environmental movement. And in my work, one of my first jobs was with Unilever. And during that time, that was like beginning of the 90s, one of my jobs was to reduce packaging materials and chemicals and all of that. So, and that was already focusing me a lot on sustainability. And when I moved to Australia in 2004, it actually became clear that in Australia, it wasn't that much. So over the time, I noticed there's more and more trend in Australia towards sustainability, but people are also getting very frustrated that not a lot of things are happening. So they are very, very passionate, uh, want to do a lot, and then they have multiple stakeholders that are not really doing what they want them to do. So they get very frustrated. And this whole market situation, uh, the people I met, uh, I had the sense uh, there's something I can do for them by help them to perform well and have a positive impact and be well at the same time, like have enough energy and really stay well while they do all the important work. And that that came from countless uh, conversations. But over the last, I would say, five years or so, it has increased. And then obviously with COVID, stress levels increased even more. So wh whatever I can contribute to leaders like achieving more positive impact and stressing less about it and struggling less. So that, that's my purpose. And wherever I can put nature into the game, the better. That's why the title is Naturally Successful. So as you say, it's all about performing well and being well. And you're particularly focused on leadership. And, and as you also point out, that you draw really strongly in your book, the element of nature and, and the kind of healing power that can have over us. But you're more broadly focused on leadership, and I think it's a very powerful path for us to follow in this conversation. Now, when you think about leaders now, and you talk about a number of case studies through your book where people are, for want of a better word, just struggling, their energy is low, their impact is low, their influence is low, what kind of things are you seeing for leaders, for managers in large and small organizations that they're really struggling with here in 2021, 2022? What are the things that are going on for leaders? I would look at it from three different perspectives. If you start at like broadest view, it's like the whole system. So obviously to have things like a political environment that gives you some safety for planning and legislation that is supportive. 
that would be a first plus. And at the moment, with the latest announcement on uh, zero emissions by 2050 uh, is another example that there on a federal level, there isn't a lot of really the, the guts to do something, but in business there is. So there is a discrepancy between the two levels. And then on the other level, the second level is all the different stakeholders you have to manage in sustainability, many, but in any other leadership position, you have a myriad of stakeholders you have to sort of influence without having the authority to tell them what to do. And that is a very frustrating process because you want them to do something for you, for your passion, your purpose, your project, and you might not be the first priority on their list. So that, that's a big struggle. How do you influence these people in a sort of more effortless way without stressing out about it? And then because there are so many tasks, you quite often, and everything is urgent, as before, many leaders don't really take the time out to recharge and reset and reflect. Uh, they just keep going, doing more and more and more, and that is a stress level. And during COVID, the whole thing about complexity, uncertainty, mental health, all of these topics come on top. They were there before but not um, to the degree. So COVID has put like a magnifying glass on all the issues that were already there. It's really shone a spotlight on some of the cracks that already existed, hasn't it? And I'm going to talk to you a little bit about, I'm going to get you to talk to us about your wise leadership universe, your three intersecting circles that you paint so nicely in your book. But question without notice, really, you mentioned the disconnect between our lives as citizens of Australia and, and other similar democracies, you know, England, Canada, New Zealand, all places that I have listeners to this podcast, the disconnect between the ambition of our government when it comes to addressing climate change and what the community feels is required. And even, and this is where, you know, this is where the rubber really hits the road because this is organizations putting their money where their mouth is. Recently, over the last little while in Australia, at least, we've had a number of really large organizations commit to very bold emission targets themselves. You know, we're talking big mining organizations committing to being carbon neutral by 2030. And that obviously flies in the face of, of our federal government and the lack of urgency and commitment that they've shown over time. Talk to me about what you think the consequence of that is. When there's this big, massive issue hanging over us like a black cloud and the media doesn't let us forget, does it worry us more on a personal level than we maybe realize? Is it kind of like a boiling frog when we hear the, how, you know, the, the disastrous future predictions and we hear how reluctant our government is to take any tangible steps? Is that worrying people? Does that create anxiety for people in ways that they might not really be aware of on the surface? Yes, especially a lot of people in the sustainability and social change space, they have read all the research and heard all the reports for like decades. So it's not really new for them. And then suddenly it gets more and more urgent and they see that they don't get support from the larger system. So that's stressing and it causes some underlying anxiety, what they have now themed, <laughs> 
eco-anxiety or climate anxiety. And there, like even in psychology, there are certain areas um, of focus where they really deal just with that. And there are things like climate grief, where people just feel very sad of the state of the earth, but don't really realize that the sadness is something normal and an emotion you have to deal with and be aware of and then accept and sort of uh, realize it's something that washes through you. But because it's like an underlying thing, then they're not really knowing how to deal with it. So and with many situations of grief and anxiety, we tend to sort of cover up, put them aside and not really uh, deal with them in a way that you become aware, you accept them, and then sort of they dissipate over time, or you find a way, your personal way, to deal with it. And that's uh, a new thing that it can be really attributed to something co uh, in connection with climate change. Before, a few years ago, we, we didn't really find these terms, that they're even new. So they might be somewhere in the niche, they might have been there, but that you can actually read about them in the newspaper, that's quite a newish thing. And you make the point in your book that it's not all doom and gloom, that we can re-energize ourselves, we can develop new ways to influence and, and have impact, we can relearn what you describe as wise leadership. And you talk, you have a, a three intersecting circles, your, I believe, your, your wise leadership universe do you want to tell us about the major components of that and how they work together and, and how they can help us frame that personal leadership development that's so important to all of us? Yeah, so they came from a variety of sources and as such, they're not really new. It is uh, literally three circles. The first one is the self, the second is stakeholders, and the third one is systems. And what it basically means that as a first starting point, you have to lead yourself. So you have to really make sure that you show enough self-leadership and make sure that you're okay and be your best self. And only then you can lead other people, in this case, the stakeholders. And you never do that in a context-free environment. So there, there are a myriad of systems that you operate in. And I've seen too many situations in business where leaders, they're so focused on a problem they have with another person that they totally forget the context in which they operate. And if they would like take a step back and look at it from a different angle, they would say, actually, this person can only operate in this way because they're part of a certain system. And then if the system would change or the person moves to, let, let's say, a different role, the same person might be totally different. So it's very worthwhile always looking at the combination of the three. So you have the other people, but they operate in systems. And by systems, I mean things like it could be a workplace, it could be an industry, it could be the home environment, it could be the natural environment or the what I mentioned before, the legal or societal system. So it's all these. And then for a leader to be really good and like find an effective way to influence, you have to understand how these systems and everything connects. It's a little bit like connecting the dots and then seeing, ah, there's something where if I change this a little bit, the overall thing will change. 
because change most of the time doesn't need a big change. It needs many small interventions at the right points and the right time. And uh, for that to notice, you have to have a certain level of awareness. And the awareness has to be for yourself. The awareness has to be for your stakeholders, like realizing what is the other person as a human being. <laughs> and then where in which type of environment is this all happening? And by combining these three things, I think this is where the magic happens and where you can become a leader that understands how to be more in a flow and in alignment with uh, whatever is happening in the world. Because when, whenever you work against one of the things, you find friction and friction is, is stressful and causes struggle. It's a little bit like <laughs> you're, you're constantly pushing against the wall, except sort of dancing around it, which also would get you to the other side. But you could push against it or you dance around it and then... It's a totally different way of doing it with the same result or maybe a better result. Do you want team and leadership development programs that actually work? Contact Team Guru today so we can start the conversation. Now, Ingrid, you touched on one of my favourite things to talk about, and that is the, you know, the, the, all leadership, all journeys of personal development starts with leading ourselves. And I think that is so often talked about, but so often undervalued in people's lives. And I think we, we get caught up so much in the, the toing and froing, the tasks and the cut and thrust of busy life. And so often we forget that leading ourselves is the most important place to start. What are the hallmarks in your mind of someone who is good at leading themselves? What do you see from the outside observing? That's what I label as when someone enters the room, if you're really aware and sensitive, you, you will sense what type of energy the person brings. And it's, it's a little bit descriptive, like a radiating something. You don't have to have a real word for it. But you intuitively and by gut feeling, you notice whether someone is having a good day or a bad day. And if someone can get themselves into a state when as a leader, that your state is so high that uh, the people you work with and lead, they will just respond to that and they respond more to that to what you're actually saying. So they will notice, is this generally authentic? Or is it something you're playing? And so people pick up on that. They might not tell you <laughs> and they might not even have the words for it, but unconscious, uh, subconsciously, it sort of is in their mind when they respond to you. And so this sort of radiant energy, I think, is a big thing. And it sounds very fluffy for some people, but in my field, I think is as a leader, you, you can only give what you have got. It's like when the uh, Japanese say you can't really drink from an empty teacup. So you have to fill your cup first. That's one way of seeing it. And um, I sometimes say when people say, oh, self-care, I can't take that day off because that's really selfish. I say it's actually a service to the community because if you show up better, then you can actually, just by showing up better, being a bit nicer to another person, to your team, to your stakeholder, you can make their day. 
And um, that is in all wisdom traditions the same. So you would have been taught the same in Buddhism or in Taoism or with indigenous people. It's the same underlying principle. It's you are sort of showing up in a certain way and the environment, other people respond to that. Does that make sense? So the oldest traditions that we know of through the world, you know, whether they're indigenous customs or or ancient religions, they've always understood the importance of taking time for yourself and grounding yourself and keeping yourself well and healthy. Why is it that we are so quick to forget that in our modern world? Because it seems, and I, and I believe it to be true, and I, I can't wait to hear your answer to that question, but it seems a little bit paradoxical because in some ways you could say we're, we're more selfish than ever before. How is it that we can be more selfish than ever before yet so quickly forget to look after our own well-being? I think we never really get taught. So there, there are many different factors that is influencing it. One is we don't get taught what a healthy lifestyle really is. That's sort of a direct thing. The other thing is we live in environments that are much more stressful and putting automatically stress onto our body. And there are things like uh, noise pollution or toxins and all of these things uh, sort of have an impact on your body, the physical thing. And then emotionally, when you get bombarded by the news circle, the feed, Facebook feed or something, this has got an uh, emotional effect on you. So you can't be well of that. Like, let's say 20, 30 years ago, you didn't have that, the social media to that degree. So you were reading a book, for example, or a magazine. And once that was finished, it's finished. But in TV, Facebook feeds, it, there is no end to it. It's, it's like an end. ongoing There's no end to circuit. a Facebook feed. And no, and, and you click more, the more sensational the news is and the more negative it is. So, and uh, there's lots of psychology behind it that helps, <laughs> helps us to click more, which then addicts us. And uh, not many people are really aware of it. And also it's very human, uh, the way how our brain works to get away from it. So it leads a lot of effort and cre to create some healthy habits that sort of has to come from parents, community, schools, everywhere. But it's very easy to not teach that to your children, that your phone uh, actually has got an off button and that you can actually leave it away from your hand for five minutes. Yeah, so they're, they're tiny things. So it's not one big thing that happened. And it was gradually, but what I've observed so my kids are not kids anymore. They're 26 and 27. But then when they were small, there was nothing like a real computer, let alone an iPhone or something. So they grew up very differently. But then over time, obviously with teenagers, they morphed into that. And that similar things happen for all of society. And I'm not saying that technology is not good. It's more... We have given away too much of our power to technology. And when we always think our oh, technology and science will, will save us, it's a little bit tricky. And that's what I mentioned before with the uh, zero emissions plan from the government. It's, they focus on that, technology and science. 
to fix what didn't work before. It's a little bit like when someone has got an illness or obesity or something and you put like pharmaceutical pills and everything on top of it to solve it instead of trying to find healthy lifestyle. It's healthy. I'd, uh, so it's, it's a similar thing. We are not going back to the root causes because it's uncomfortable and it's no fun in many cases. You have to have some discipline to do some things. It's amazing to ponder where it's all headed. We've talked many times on this podcast with different guests about where it's all headed. We've had a number of futurists and of course we don't exactly know where it's headed, but you know, there's some part of me that thinks that we are at a very early stage of this understanding technology and the role it plays in our life. You know, as you said, you've got kids in your mid-20, they were born, there was no iPhone. And then by the time they're in their 20s, that kind of technology is ubiquitous. So there's this adaptation that we're going through. And, and I like to think of humanity in the infancy, or at the very least as a toddler, in this world of hyper-connectivity-ness. And we're just working out how to do it. And I think we're pretty bad at it. And there's a lot of fumbling habits and bad habits are creeping in. And we're seeing all sorts of or symptoms that we're getting it slightly wrong. But the optimist in me thinks that that's just a developmental thing. And as humankind, we'll develop a, a new way of, of integrating technology into our life. Am I too optimistic or naive? No, I'm with you. <laughs> I'm, I'm optimist as well. Because it has got many, many benefits. So there's nothing wrong with it. It's more, it has to have its place and uh, sort of a boundary. And over time, and that's one, one of the current issues, especially in leadership and why people are so stressed, we forget to set boundaries and then also to hold ourselves and others accountable to keep the boundaries so uh, we are not often anymore in this like natural rhythm and boundaries help to have these rhythms, but we are not really good at holding them and at work. It's sometimes an uncomfortable conversation to say, oh, this is a boundary and don't cross it and then explain why. And instead we sort of yeah, dance around in a negative way around the conversation that we actually should have. And the same thing I'm seeing at the moment when people going back to the offices or not and or hybrid workplaces, there needs to be a lot of discussion around what are our expectations, what are the boundaries, what are the feasibilities, what, what's actually, what makes sense So and why would it matter. And these conversations mean we have to really focus on people first before we do time plans and task plans and everything. And that's in, in general with the technology and science bit. I sometimes have the sense that we have forgotten about the humanness, like us as people and humans. We think technology and science is the savior for everything but it isn't. It's a, just a really good addition and a helpful tool, but it's not, not much more than a tool. But if we give it or allow it to take a position in our society and life that is more than that, I think we get lost a little bit. So it's more the balance that should be right. 
Ingrid, I'm going to ask you very shortly for your top three tips, but as you were talking before and this infancy we're in in our relationship with modern technology, I was thinking nature has always been important to us humans, but it's more important than ever because it's it's almost the polar opposite. It's the yin to the yang of technology, getting out in nature just like you did on the weekend, minus the snake bite, I think would be ideal. But that kind of experience of being really in the thick of it to the point where you needed to be helicoptered out, that is the polar opposite of sitting down with your head in your iPhone scrolling through Facebook. And it's a beautiful thing. And and it seems to me as though that is one of the things that will become even more important to us as we roll through this technology world. Yeah, that what we forget easily is you can't eat technology. So we still need food that comes from the soil, from the sun, from water. And uh, for example, when you go in the forest or in a bush, the trees and all the plants, they sort of uh, send different chemicals into the air that you breathe in. And they are a really important part for your body to be well. So you immediately have a connection between you and all the plants and trees around you. And when you eat food, uh, it's the same. In a way, you eat water, sunshine, soil, all this. It's all in there, but we forget about these things because we have more and more artificial food. And then that's not really nurturing us. And we we don't get all the nutrients uh, that we actually would need. And so the nature bit... Uh, we see it, especially during COVID, it's nice that a lot more people go out and walk and uh, do all sorts of nature-based activities. But quite often, it's more that they see nature as a backdrop to their activity. It's just a nice visual element where actually, on the other hand, uh, indigenous people before, when they live in the environment, they have a much closer connection where they actually feel we and nature are one. There is no difference. It's it's really like a one-on-one uh, connection where we are fully immersed. And this is how originally it was. And this is when there was a different way of looking at it with much more reverence, more spirituality. And also what I said before, like the food and breath and water. So that, that was all more clean. That's the idealistic way. However, today is just the other end of the spectrum. So, And we will have to learn in cities to live somewhere in between and make it work for us so that our bodies and minds and spirits still get what we need as humans and to stay human <laughs> and not become robots. Uh, so, And then on the other hand, there's more technology and that might not go well. All right, more reverence and spirituality from na- for nature. It sounds good to me, Ingrid. All right, now hit us with your top three tips. Someone who's bought into your message, they're keen for more energy, influence, and impact. They want to be naturally successful. What are your three tips that you'd like to leave them with? The first one is to, whatever you do, look at the whole, meaning look at the whole system and get a sense of, what are all the influencing elements that are there and how are they all connected? It's a little bit like taking an eagle eye perspective from the very top, but seeing the detail as well, because otherwise we get too much stuck. The second is when you're frustrated with another person, like a difficult stakeholder, 
it's really more you and your mindset. There's no person in the world who intentionally wants to be really difficult. It's more how can you get to know that person better about what are their motivations, what are their capabilities, what are they bound by, like what type of goals maybe and systems. And then the third one is related to yourself. Really make sure that and remember that you can only give what you have got so that you take care of yourself first. Because if you're not well, then most likely everything else will fall apart immediately. So it's like a lot of people said, wealth, uh, health is your first wealth. So that's definitely something important. And with increasing burnout, I think it will become more and more important. We know it. So it's very simple, but it's not easy. But it's worth a try as good as it gets. That's very good advice, Ingrid. Look, I really appreciate you coming on the Team Guru podcast. I appreciate the fact that you were willing to do it straight after a snake bite, but I'm pleased we're able to leave it a few nights. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It was good fun. And that was Ingrid Messner. I told you she had a super cool story to tell. And those top three tips. Number one, when confronted by a challenge, look at the whole, take a step back and consider the whole system and its influencing elements. Number two, when you're frustrated with a difficult person, remember it's more likely about you than it is about them. Challenge yourself to get to know them, their motivations and the lens through which they view the world. And number three, take care of yourself first. Nothing, not even wealth matters if you don't have your health. As always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with Ingrid on the Lessons Learned page for this podcast. You'll find it along with the entire back catalogue of Team Guru podcasts on our website. That's teamswithans.guru forward slash podcast. Connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud or LinkedIn and join me for the next episode on this, my mission to bring to life the theory and principles of leadership. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now. Bye for now.